Podcasting from the Star Group, home of the iconic Dressable Lions. This is Beyond the Known, the podcast that takes you a step beyond what you know about business. I'm your host, Paul M. Newberger, president of the Star Group. On today's episode of the Beyond the Known podcast, our guest is David Cooks, speaker and author with David Cooks Enterprises. Welcome to the show, my friend. Well, it is great to be here. I'm so excited to first finally meet you and also to be on your podcast. I think we're going to have a great time today. We sure will. Absolutely. And although I've heard nothing but truly wonderful things about you, this is my first time meeting you as well and got a lot of questions to ask you. And I I know you're going to be providing some really good insight. Let's start with your book. We were just talking about that before we got on the air. Now, your book is extremely powerful. It's an award-winning publication. And anybody who's ever read it to some degree has been inspired by it. In your book, you encourage the reader to keep moving forward regardless of life's challenges and really to put purpose into action by helping others. Can you tell us a little bit more about the inspiration behind writing this book? Well, the book is called Getting Undressed from Paralysis to Purpose. And what the book does, it takes a look at my life from a tragic event, as some would call it a tragic event, at age 15 where I had a spinal aneurysm that left me a wheelchair user. And it takes a look at key moments in my life from then up until the book was released and some of the impact that other people had in my life, the impact that decisions had in my life, and ultimately how I was able to persevere and overcome, not just how I was able to overcome a lot of obstacles and a lot of things that hold people back. And when I wrote the book, I wrote the book without an audience in mind, but I did have a purpose for the book in mind, and it was that whoever picked up this book would be inspired to move forward, to go from their difficult place, from their place of paralysis, onto purpose, and purpose is always bigger than you are. Purpose is never meant for you, it's for somebody else. And so once you find that, go and give to others and serve others. And that's kind of what the book talks about, and and I'm honored to have a living epistle being read by men, so to speak, out in the marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you turned such a tragic event, something that could have really cut short anybody's path to this life of meaning where you're doing so many great things? I think it began with my mom and dad and my family. I think I can't underestimate or overthink my dad for instilling in us a few things. One, to put God first. Secondly, to get an education. Third, to work hard. Fourth is to give back and reach back. Fifth, I forget what that one is, but (laughs) see, I'm just a regular old guy. And then finally, to be positive. That be positive thing was always a part of us. Excuses were not really a part of what we were allowed to have. And, And I think when this happened, our faith kicked in immediately. And our response was, we're going to get through this and God will help us through. And we didn't know what that meant. This was new for all of us. So there was no blueprint. There was no one that could really help us get through it. But as a family, and and I had some great friends in high school that helped me get through it. There were four guys that I still talk to to this day. And it was an eclectic group of guys, different faiths, different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds. But their concern was for my best interest in getting me through high school. And it's a lesson that we need to have nowadays because you can get along with people if you really want to and they can help you move forward. So those guys were important. I've had business people that spoke life into me. Jim Wigdale, Fred Stratton, Jack Pulicker, 
Donald Shanky, who was the CEO of Northwestern Mutual at the time. These business providers, along with the Inroads organization and Deborah Kenner, identified me as a young man who they thought had potential to be a leader in the community uh, and to be a successful businessman. So, and I could go on and on about that. And I can talk about my time at Duke with Coach K and how he gave me an opportunity uh, to join with him and how that changed the trajectory of my life. So I've been fortunate enough to have a number of, of windows and doors open for me. I don't sit here today and declare to be a self-made man. I'm a help-made man, and I have no problem admitting that. I've worked hard and done the things that we need to do, but without others assisting me, I don't know where I would be today. I don't know if I would have gone the path that I did without people having influence in my life. And so for that, I'm, I'm eternally grateful. You had talked about one of the lessons from your father was to give back and reach back. What does that mean exactly? What that means is as you become successful, and as an African-American man, it's my responsibility to try to give back to the community and give back to the people who helped me, and at the same time reach back and bring someone along. I will not have fulfilled all of my purpose if I'm always the only one and there's nobody else to succeed me. I think failed leadership is leadership that doesn't have succession. And so I always think that's what reach back means. And, and you know, you may not be able to get everybody, but if you can impact one young man, one young woman from the community and get them to be inspired enough to move forward and see that if I can do it, if cooks can do it, then they can do it. And that's what we mean by give back and reach back. When it comes to some of these mentors, some of these influences in your life, some of these business people that it seems like you were very blessed to encounter along your journey, you had mentioned about how they spoke life into you. What does that mean and how specifically were they able to do that? Well, the first thing that speaking life into me means is that something very simple. They believed in me. That right there, when, you, when someone believes in you, and you may not even believe in yourself at that point, it changes, it builds a relationship. There's a trust that comes in there. And when people believe in you and they think that you can do things, there are opportunities that you are given and they will help guide you through those and, and see to it that you have a certain degree of success. That's speaking life. I have to take advantage rather of any opportunity that I'm given. And that's on me but sometimes I can't create the opportunity. In that situation, I had my very first job was at the, then it was the MNI Data Center, and Dennis Kester was running that, and I was a lockbox clerk, and I filed checks. My very first job, I was 17 years old, and I filed checks. And what was so important about that was that was my first job. I always wanted to be a businessman as a kid. I wanted to play basketball for my high school, and I wanted to be a businessman. I wanted to wear three-button suits, and uh, sit in the executive dining room and have dinner with uh, customers. That's what I wanted to do. And little did I know that small beginning of filing checks and processing insurance payments on IBM 3762 machines, which are probably about as big as this conference table, <laughs> little did I know that that would lead me to an internship with the bank and eventually becoming a commercial lender at the M&I Bank. So there's so many lessons in that about taking care of the little things and doing the best you can. That's one of the things my dad always taught us was excellence. I don't care what you do, he used to tell us. I don't care what you want to become, but whatever it is, you better be the best at it. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be the best at it. And being your best at it is probably the best way to say it. Because if there might be someone better at it 
than you are. But if you're at your best, that's all you can give. Amen to that. How do you, you're obviously very good at this. So I'm curious, how do you teach someone, generally speaking, to overcome adversity? I think it makes sense to say it. Everything you're saying, and I think our listeners here today, I agree, makes total sense. Yep, that's certainly something I can subscribe to. But on more of a practitioner level, David, how do you teach someone who's facing adversity strategies to overcome those challenges? Well, the very first thing is your perspective. How you see it will determine how you attack it. So if you don't see opportunity on the other side of your adversity, then you won't move forward. So your vision, what you see, what you think becomes very important. Now, let me just make it real clear. Life is not easy for anyone. And we all have different things that we have to overcome and that we face. But your drive to get to purpose must be greater than your excuses. I'll say that again. Your drive to get to your purpose must be greater than your excuses because excuses really don't stop you. Stopping is what stops you. And the difference between those who overcome and those who don't, the guys and the ladies who have overcome, they don't stop. They just keep moving in spite of failures. You know, there's nothing, you can't live life without failing at something. And you can't let that be a reason to stop you. It doesn't make you a failure. That just means you didn't do so good on that one point. And I think keeping going, having goals for yourself, something very simple or targets for yourself as you begin to move forward and then stop and reflect, give yourself a break, see where you've come from, applaud yourself, be selfish that way and give yourself a boost of confidence and say, you know what? Now that I look back, man, I've done a couple of things and that will encourage you. That will encourage you. I have something in the book I call Reflect, Regroup, and Relaunch. And I had got fired as the head basketball coach at my alma mater. Came out of nowhere. Had a great record, great teams, and I get fired. And I was like, oh, man, what am I going to do? I was devastated. And I just didn't know what was going on in the future. I had done the Duke thing, you know, all of that. And it gave me an opportunity, much like we are in now, to reflect what did I do that was good? What could I improve on? What can I learn from this? To regroup, what do I have left? Is there, do I still have a drive to do certain things? Am I supposed to do something else? Should I pivot in another direction? What do I do? Regroup and then relaunch yourself. And I think you have to keep yourself out in the marketplace, wherever that is for you and what that is for you, and continue. For me, I knew I still had some basketball left in my blood. So if I, and this is interesting, as irritated and upset as I was for being fired, had I not been fired, I would have not gone overseas with the USA East Coast basketball with Frank Martin and some other people to coach in NCAA players in Europe. I would have not been an assistant coach at Concordia University. And perhaps this book would have never been written. And so you have to really be open to change when you're overcoming adversity and dealing with obstacles. You have to be open to the unknown. And sometimes you just have to do it afraid. You just have to do it afraid. You don't know, and you just have to keep moving forward, trusting that you're on the right path. One of the words that you just shared really resonates with me, and that word is reflection. And I think in this day and age when everybody's moving to the speed of light, you see these memes on social media, rise and grind, enjoy the hustle. It just seems busy, 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 move, 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 do, do, do. You are more authoritarian on this than I am, but do you feel that enough 
entrepreneurs, enough business owners, enough authors, enough professionals for that matter, take the time to reflect? Pre-COVID-19? No. One of the things that COVID-19 has taught all of us is to think about our priorities, reestablish the things that reestablish, because you already had them, but reestablish the things that are important. One of the things about a pandemic is that a pandemic will rule out the unessential and only the excellent is what will be left. And so that gives us an opportunity now more than ever to stop. We're not even on a pause. We weren't on a pause. We were on a stop. And this is not a reboot. This is a restart. And so I think it gives us all an opportunity to do more of that. We did not do a lot of that because our people are driven, and I understand that. And you should be, and you should work hard. That's one of the things I talked about early on. One of the principles that I learned is to work hard. But at the same time, you need to have balance in your life. And those are choices you have to make. When do you put the phone down at night? I turn my phone off every day. You will not get a hold of me after 6 p.m. I'll talk to you the next day. Little bitty things like that. So my wife and I can watch a, a cartoon or whatever, <laughs> whatever we do. <laughs> you know, those kind of things. So I think that we are more reflective now than ever because of the uncertainty of our times. And that's a plus and that's a bonus. And I think what's going to come out of this will be a much more humane and empathetic environment than we've ever had. I shared this with you before we sat down behind the microphones here, but I love your content on social media because you're authentic, because you're real, you allow yourself to be vulnerable. I think it's easy for some people to look at David Cook's, despite what you went through in life based on the best-selling book, based on your public speaking. Hey, you know, that guy's, you know, he's living the dream, he's living the life, but, but I love how authentic and vulnerable you allow yourself to be. I also love how optimistic you are. So with that being said, do you believe that optimists are born or can you teach optimism? You know, I think you learn how to be optimistic. I really think you learn that. And the Apostle Paul said, I've learned how to be content in every situation with or without. So that's a learned process. And so in terms of optimism, you know, that again goes back to perspective because perspective drives performance at every level. And so if you don't think it's going to work, if you think it's all over, if you think there's no chance, that will impact how you work and what your desired, what your expected outcome is in that situation. Once you begin to realize that as long as I'm breathing and as long as there's time on the clock, I have an opportunity to make this a great day. When you get to that mindset, and I didn't say I was going to change the world. I didn't say I was going to close a million-dollar deal that day. I just have a great day. I was just going to have a great day. And you simplify life into compartments, and I do them daily. It's easy for me to be optimistic about today. If I take a look at our world right now, I don't know what it's going to be, but I know that today is going to be a good day. Today is going to be just fine. And I think that's where... When you start to think that way, you start to look for opportunities too. You know, you talk about optimists and opportunities. Isn't that interesting? They both kind of come from some probably probably some Latin word that I don't know, like apotonio or something. <laughs> you know, but it's interesting. People who are more optimistic get more opportunities, and they see more opportunities. And I think once success breeds confidence, and confidence breeds success, and so once you start to see that your optimism is real and impactful, then you just keep it going. And I wonder how you would respond to this. 
somebody listening to this might say, well, I can see why David would say that. He's found his purpose in life. It's easy for him once you know what your purpose in life is. What would you say to somebody who's struggling with that? I have no idea what my purpose is. I have no idea where to even start with what my purpose in life is going to be. What would you say to somebody who has no idea what their purpose in life is, yet they're trying to find it? All right, a couple of things I would recommend. Number one, your purpose will be tied to your natural giftings. You are not purposed to do something that you aren't equipped to do. I'll say that one more time. You are not purposed to do something that you are not equipped to do. So for me, my gift is communication. I didn't know that as I was coaching and teaching economics and doing these things, but I began to understand that I had the ability to reach people in a way that others did not. And so I began to go down that path. Finding your purpose is a journey. I was going to try to do the corporate thing. I mean, I was all, I got my MBA. I was going to be an investment banker. You know, I had it all figured out what I was going to do. And I was going to try to coach basketball on the side. Well, I had to make a decision about what I was going to do with that. And what was driving me was coaching basketball and working with young people. So I sacrificed a corporate career. There is sacrifice that's necessary in finding purpose. You can't do everything and be on purpose. Okay. You have to do things on purpose for purpose. So your natural giftings are important. What is it that you just inherently have been gifted to do that's really good? And whatever that is, ultimately, it's to serve someone else. Purpose outside of service is not purpose. It's work. Purpose outside of service is not service. And so if you're looking for something for yourself, you're going to shortchange yourself in terms of purpose. How can I take this purpose that I have and leave a legacy or impact other people's lives? That's part of how you do it. Ask your friends. Ask some of your closest friends, your husband, your wife. You know, what are the three things that stand out about me? You know, what do you think I'd be really good at? Sometimes, you know, we have those Bristol Myers tests or whatever those things are called where they figure out what you like to do. You don't have to do that. Talk to some people who know you. Have them give you an honest assessment of who you are and what you have. Take a look at that as well. And then just keep walking and trying different things. Ultimately, you will get such a sense of satisfaction when you know you're doing what you're supposed to do. I can't explain that to you because I don't know how that happens, but I know I shouldn't be doing anything else other than what I'm doing. I mean, when I was coaching, I knew I was at the high school that that was the place I was supposed to be in at that time. I knew that. And when that closed, I had to look for the next door to see what was I supposed to do next and do that. And then when that's over, what do I do next? But wherever, this is interesting, whatever arena I was operating in, my gift was there. Whether the classroom, whether on the basketball court, whether in the business world, whether in what I do now, my gift was operative in every place I went. That's a sign about purpose. If you can be who you are, wherever you go and whatever you say, you are probably in your purpose. That's the authenticity because purpose is individually designed for each person. And if you can't be authentic, then you're probably not in your purpose. One of my big takeaways from this interview thus far, and there's plenty, you can see I got a page of notes here, brother, so I'm not making this up. But one of the things that my takeaway is from when you were diagnosed with your illness at 15 to as you've 
matured as a professional, the people that have come in your life, your coworkers, your associates, these business mentors who have breathed life into you, I'm taking away the importance of a support structure, the importance of surrounding yourself with very positive individuals that can help you become the best possible version of yourself. I wonder, you know, you're an optimistic guy by nature, but do you worry in this era of social media where we're all connected, but we're not maybe connecting as deep as we otherwise would, that this is going to be a missed opportunity for some people and this may stunt their growth to achieve all the things that you're talking about? Yeah, I do think that there is a competition for likes and algorithms. And you can play that game without being real. Success is a team sport. Let's just throw that out there so people understand that. Success is a team sport. Even if you're an entrepreneur or a single proprietor, it's still a team sport. And it's a lie. It it is an absolute lie. I don't know of anyone who's made it on their own. Everyone who's made it has had somebody at some point in their life to help pull them, push them, challenge them. All of those things are part of being a team. And so in this day and age, you know, networking on social media is very interesting. It's almost we've gotten to the point where we want to know how you can benefit me versus I'm here to network to see how I can add to you. Again, that's just just flipping the switch a little bit, uh, flipping the script rather on that. And so I think that the one thing this time in America has taught us all is the pain of solitude, discomfort of being alone, the emptiness of privacy. People want now to see somebody. They want to touch somebody. They want to hear somebody. And you know what? If we can hold on to just that alone, then we won't miss the opportunity. If we will act on that and make a commitment, you've got to be intentional about relationship building and about serving others. You've got to be intentional about making sure that your purpose is impacting other lives. It's an intentionality point. And if you're not intentional, as I said, pandemics leave the unessential behind. And if you're not prepared to be a team player and do things a different way and be humble enough to accept that you don't have to always be right. I gave it up a long time ago. I'm probably not the smartest guy in this room, you know, and I'm okay with that. I don't need to be that, but I need to, I know what I do need to do. I need to be the most giving person in this room. I know that much. And when you give, you receive. And that's what we all want. Yeah, for sure. Very insightful. One of the things you've mentioned a couple of times during this conversation is basketball. Obviously, that's a passion of yours. That's a a love of yours. And for those of you that are just learning a little bit more about David Cooks, he's had a rather distinguished coaching career that includes serving under coach Mike Krzyzewski at Duke University representing the United States in Estonia and Finland with coaches Frank Martin and Guy Rancourt with USA East Coast Basketball, and also serving as the head coach at Marquette University High School. Where did your love of basketball come from? Well, I loved it as a kid, man. I would play all the time. And since there's no YouTube or not like that, I'm going to say I was really, really good. <laughs> and so, But I wasn't bad. They called me Gus Williams. And, you know, Gus Williams back then was a point guard for the Seattle Supersonics. And so I love to play. And it's just, I would play it every day until the streetlights came home on and we have to go home and that kind of thing. It was one of the things that did not become paralyzed. My passion did not become paralyzed when my legs did. And so what it did though, what 
this obstacle did, it redirected the route I was going to have to take to fulfill that passion and keep that going. Little did I know that basketball would give me the platform for, for the greater purpose of helping others. But it allowed for me to have a successful college career as a wheelchair basketball player. I coached a bank team just because I wanted to coach and get started. And then I was fortunate enough to work with Rick Cobb here in Milwaukee with a team that may be arguably the greatest AAU team ever that had Jim McLevane, Damon Key, Silas Mills, Calvin Rayford, just all these guys that are in the Hall of Fame. And I was able to connect with them and be a part of that. And, you know, the rest was kind of history. And I just wanted to keep being involved as long as I was supposed to be. I went to Duke University. I didn't know Coach K. I had no idea of if he would even see me. And I had to keep going back because he was on vacation. At least that's what they told me. And, and I, uh, <laughs> I did later find out that he was on vacation. But I was like, man, this guy's got a lot of vacation. And eventually we were able to meet and connect through Tommy Amaker, who's the head coach at Harvard. Just spoke with him last week. And I always thank him because without him, I would have never met Coach K and, you know, a few other things. So, you know, you have to be willing to not accept no until it's final. No doesn't mean a whole lot to me. No means no right now. Well, tomorrow may not mean no. And oh, is no tomorrow too? All right, well, I'm coming back another day. So there's some persistence and things that, that happen with that. And so my love for the game, to get to go from the playgrounds of Milwaukee to Cameron Indoor Stadium, back to my alma mater, and then to Concordia University, that's amazing. That is amazing that nine pounds of air in that orange thing called a basketball was able to get me into places that I never would have dreamt of. If you would have told me 40 years ago when I had the aneurysm that I'd be talking to you today, talking to you today about all of these things, I'd have been like, seriously, what? I didn't even know at that time or see. I just knew I wanted to get back to school get out of rehab, graduate from high school. I was a step-by-step guy. And this basketball piece was with me the whole way. And that's why, that's how it's worked. And I think that's what passion dies when you literally die. When you're gone, then you don't have to deal with your passion anymore. And so, so it's interesting. We talk, I talked about giftings. And so if you take your natural giftings and your passion and put them together, it provides a platform for purpose. So your natural giftings, plus your passion, you add them together. It provides a platform for your purpose. And I'm just fortunate and grateful that I was able to find mine early in life. You know, it's never too late, though. It's never too late to find it. You know, it's never too late to be fulfilled. You know, there's no, when it's full, it's full. I don't care when it got full, as long as it's full. You know, and so it's never too late. We've got a number of basketball fans listening to this program. And obviously you can't say the word basketball without Mike Krzyzewski entering the conversation to some degree. So speaking on behalf of all basketball fans, David, what was it like to coach under Coach K? Amazing is an overused word, but I'm going to use it again. Amazing. (laughs) I learned so much about the importance of detail. I learned from him the importance of relationships X's and O's, a lot of, you can run a zone, you can run a man-to-man, you can do whatever you want. But your ability to connect is what is so often underrated in coaching. I saw what he had in his ability to connect with his players on an individual basis. And do you know how long that takes 
to find the right button to hit on each one of the people that are part of your team. That's that intentionality. So I learned a lot about that. I learned to be on time. I went to get some donuts one day to bring to a coach's meeting, and I ended up being late because I was late. I wasn't late after that. Just suffice it to say, I was early for the rest of the time I was there. I think I also learned about becoming a championship team, not being, but becoming. In other words, the process to get there, developing winning habits, developing a culture that can be transferred. All of these things I really learned. His standards and having standards was such a part of the program. And everyone wants to know what to reach for, or what, what's the goal. And when you have standards in place and you don't bend on those standards, then this may or may not be the right place for you if the standard is too much for you to get to. You know, not compromising on what you believe, something else I saw in him. And he had laser focus, or he has laser focus on achieving greatness. His focus is amazing. Things can be going on, and he'll get right back into the place he needs to be. And those were some of the greatest things I learned. I mean, I was there for the Leitner years with Bobby Hurley and Grant Hill and Christian Leitner and second championship in 1992. And so I was there when it was like a rock party. It was crazy with the Beatles going places and stuff. And so I was there during all of that chaos, and I watched him manage chaos and communicate effectively with his team. His leadership and understanding how to communicate in the midst of chaotic situations and to keep everybody focused was and still is amazing. That he will not allow for anything to come between him and the goal for his players. And that's right. And he's got a lot going on. There's a lot going on. And so for him to do that, the same guy that I met in 19... 19- 93. He's the same guy today, a little bit older. He jokes at me and says, well, you're older now and your jokes aren't funny and stuff. I'm like, whatever. But that's the relationship we have, you know, one of those kind of things. And he's the same guy, compassionate. Like he's got a real heart for people with the whole COVID thing. I remember he posted something about wanting to help healthcare workers. And so I sent him an email and I said, hey, I've been on bed rest now uh, for a while, uh, overcoming some sepsis and I have a nurse that's been with me for almost six months every day. I said, would you mind doing something for her? Not a problem. I get something in the mail, autographed a couple of things. She had no idea it was coming. I gave it to her. That's what I mean about an authentic desire to touch people's lives. And I would play for him because I know he loved me. You know, when you know, we started off this thing a while back now where I said someone believed in me. Another way of saying that is, I know you love me. I know you care about me. And when a player knows that the person in charge, the coach, the leader, whatever, cares about them and is genuine, they will run through a wall for that leader at any cost. That's what makes him different. That's what makes him special. Speaking purely as a basketball fan myself, you must have seen some truly incredible things at Duke University, been through some wonderful experiences. This might be like asking to pick your favorite of your children, perhaps, but if you had to relive one of your more favorite moments at Duke University, which moment would that be? It would be before I met Coach K. 
And I was going to meet him to see if I could meet him rather. And in the office was a player named Tony Lang. And Tony Lang looked at me and said, hey, aren't you that guy from Wisconsin? And I paused because I don't, didn't know him. And I am from Wisconsin, but I don't know you. And he said, I saw you coaching in Florida with an AAU team. And I love the way you worked with your players. Are you here to help us? Obviously, I was like, yes, 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 I'm here to help you. But that moment began to change my opportunities at Duke. And it taught me another valuable lesson. Do what's right because it's right. And you don't know who's watching what you're doing. You don't know who the next source of your blessing is. And it may not be someone that you know, but what you're doing will define you to them so they know you. That was amazing. And it wasn't even a basketball thing. The Grand Hill Dunk, alley-oop, that was crazy. Those practices with those players, every day I would be sitting like, man, this is crazy. You know, and the competitiveness and the whole Christian Leitner challenging guys and Bobby Hurley stepping up and Grand Hill was just, he's arguably the best player that I'd ever seen in person. He was, I mean, had, man, he was really good. He was really, really good. And so I have a lot of those types of memories. But the thing that changed my life uh, from a basketball standpoint was a guy named Tony Lang. And I'll give you one other quick story because I have two Tonys in my life that are pretty important. There's a guy named Tony Otters. When I went into rehab, you know, you got to learn how to, you know, relive now in a wheelchair. I ended up being a roommate with a guy named Tony Otters, a quadriplegic. Tony had less ability than I had. I came in and I noticed that this guy was super optimistic and he had suffered a diving accident and was now a quadriplegic. And Tony worked harder than anyone I'd ever seen. And that pushed me. The aneurysm was life-changing. Tony Otters changed my life in this regard. He was so purposed to go home, get back in school, go to medical school, become a doctor. And you would think, given that he had limited physical use, here I am now, I'm in a wheelchair too, but I got more than him. I'm like, I don't know if he can do that. Does he really want to try to do that? Well, you know what? He's an MD right now. He's a doctor for real. And those two Tonys, I had a Tony when I was 15 and I had a Tony when I was 28 that impacted my life. One motivated me, one identified me, and then it helped me to have the experiences that I have. So we talk about your love of basketball, and I'm trying to imagine the 15-year-old version of David Cooks. He loves basketball. He plays basketball. It's an outlet for him. Probably like most 15-year-olds, you have NBA dreams, hoop dreams, and then God has other plans, spinal aneurysm. And I know we've discussed what's happened since, and undoubtedly you've touched a lot of lives. You've really made the most out of the hand that you were dealt and exceeded a lot of expectations, I imagine, along the way. But basically, when you were 15, at least for a brief moment of time, what you really, really loved more than anything else was taken away from you. There's probably individuals listening to this podcast now that have had a similar experience, maybe more acutely. It's more recent. They're feeling, well, my purpose is gone. It's going to be hard to live a fulfilling life now. What I really enjoy doing in life, I can't do, whatever their situation is. Knowing what you've been through 
empathizing with what they might be going through now, what words of encouragement would you offer them? The first thing I would say is it hasn't been taken away. It has been repackaged. My basketball desire wasn't taken away. How I had to approach it changed. And so you need to find, if it's important enough to you, find a way, another way to look at that. Secondly, we are complex human beings with multiple desires and tastes. Always look for possibilities. I remember being in the rehab center and meeting with some doctors, and they spent a lot of time talking to me about all the things that I wouldn't be able to do anymore. And I stopped them mid-sentence, and I said, well, I'm interested in what I can do. What are the possibilities? Find out what you can do and begin with that. This being in a wheelchair is not easy. Let me just make that real clear to everybody. Walking is the real deal, and it is much nicer. I have walked, and I have not walked. Walking is much better. So let's just throw that out there. There's a lot of struggle, and there's a lot of things you have to go through. But you know what? Your quality of life is often left up to you. The choices that you make and how you go about it. As tragic as it is today, grieve, get angry, do what you have to do, and then you need to stop grieving and start growing. Once you start growing, you will find opportunities to be the person you were supposed to be. If you are living, then that means you still have a reason to live and that your purpose is still there. So if you're living and you've gone through something difficult, stop thinking about yourself all the time and try to reach out and impact somebody else. When you do that, it is amazing. When I began and I was in rehab and I remember seeing people who had issues and I was like, oh my gosh, people are literally in here fighting for their life. Changed my perspective. And I was like, how can I help? Is there something I can do for them? Find, get, get out of yourself a little bit when you have tragedy. Once you get through with grieving, start growing and start giving. You do that, I think you'll be okay. You're living. It's okay. It may not be what you want. I don't always get to have sweet potato pie. But apple pie is okay. It's still a pie. And that's what I think you have to work on. And that doesn't negate the reality of what you're living it with. I tell people this all the time. I'm not saying that my paralysis doesn't exist. What I'm telling you is that it doesn't have the right to rule my life. That's what I'm telling you. And as best as I can control that and subdue that and bring that under my subjection, I'm going to do that. Some days are better than others, but that's my goal and that's what I'm going to do. So I think people should do that. And then finally, I think we've said it in a number of ways today, just take a day at a time. I literally, during that six-month period, which is just about over of, of being on bed rest. Literally every night, my wife and I would get in the bed, pray, and then I'd say, we made it through one more day. Literally did that every day. Whew, we made it through this day. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's all you can do. You don't have anything other than now. So why are you worrying about everything else? You don't have the ability to do anything that you can't do. So why are you worrying about that? Focus on what you can do. Live that day. Breathe. Make sure you find something to laugh about during the day. 
but being so serious about yourself all the time. You're not, you know, you're not that serious. Laugh, smile, find something that will make you think about something else that's funny. It's important to do that. That's that whole balance thing we talk about, you know, and I think it helps to just nurture you and get you from grieving to growing to giving. So in addition to being an award-winning author, you're also an in-demand keynote speaker as well as a coach. For anybody listening to this podcast today that is inspired by you, and I have to imagine that's everybody, and they say, you know what, we want more of David Cooks. I want other people to learn from him. I want other people to benefit from his influence. Can you speak a little bit more to your keynote speaking services as well as your coaching? Well, sure. In this day and age, there's a lot more virtual things going on, and so I'm in the process of trying to navigate and figure that out as well. But I try to adjust my speaking to the needs of the audience. My story is my story, but how I can apply that to what you're looking for as an audience is what I try to do. You're going to laugh. You're going to be inspired. You're going to be challenged. And at the end of the day, you'll see a person that's just real. It's interesting that you said that right away and I had not met you about just being a normal guy. I consider myself, I'm just a normal guy from Milwaukee, grew up on the north side. It's what you see is what you get with me. And I do think from a speaking standpoint, your ability to relate and be a part of my story is what I try to do. I want to bring you into my story and then have you be a part of that. And I think that's what's unique. You know, I want you to know who I am. I want you to understand I'm not here with a predetermined script to motivate you, to get you going. I come raw, prepared, but ready for whatever's in the room. And I love that part of it. You know, so if it's, you know, beginning of the year sales meetings, oh, I'll get you pumped up so we can go and, and get that done for, and meet our goals and that kind of stuff. If it's leadership training, we can talk about basketball. We can talk about the importance of putting your team together and becoming a team versus being becoming a championship team versus being a championship team in those steps and some of the things that it takes with identifying talent properly and, and putting people in, the, in their place to be successful. That's what the banking people did for me years ago. They identified my skill set and then put me in positions to have success. That is, those things are so important as you begin to talk to people. And that's kind of what I do. I talk to educators because I was one. And the importance of teachers in my life is huge. I'm 15 years old, and my world is turned upside down. And I had some teachers who were able to push me academically and hold me accountable for my abilities. I'm forever grateful for that. They could have felt sorry for me and let me slip and slide and get through. No, not so. And so teachers are always on the front line of justice. It's very interesting where we are now. And teachers may not understand this. This is part of my message to teachers. You are impacting all kinds of students. And you don't even understand the fact that you're trying to figure out various ways to educate those who have different learning styles, different ways of understanding. You are on the front lines of justice with what you do. And that is generationally impact, has a generational impact with what they do. So it's just kind of what I do. I mean, I, I know that's, that's probably a long answer. To, I don't even know what your question was now, but <laughs> I do that all the time. What'd you say? And people want to, I've got some testimonials and stuff on, on my website if they like to look. But if you want something to, a boost of inspiration with some practical tips and, and ways to help you move forward, I'm your guy, you know, and 
I've been blessed to have experiences beyond probably what my fee structure would be. I just say that because I'm not famous, but I've lived a famed life. And I know that. And so when a normal guy comes and talks to you about things that appear to be famous, but I just take them as blessings and move forward, people are like, man, that's all right. You know, that's good stuff. So well said. I really appreciate these opportunities and I take them all like very seriously. Whether you have one listener or a hundred thousand, I, everything I take it very seriously and get, try to give my best. I think the reason we connected in the first place was through C-Suite for Christ and our mutual faith there. I think at some point having you speak to the group would make a lot of sense. I mean, not only do we have anywhere between 100 and 150 local Christian business executives that attend these things, we have an international audience of over 700. And I think for them to hear your message of inspiration and you have that faith-filled tone to it, not only would you be a blessing to us, but that could open up some tremendous opportunities as Absolutely. well. And Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We didn't talk much today on the faith piece, but there was faith in everything I said. And I do have a chapter designated in a book called Prayer. And so the, the book is 18 chapters long. Each chapter starts with a word that starts with the letter P, purpose, perspective, blah, blah, blah. And so chapter 17 was prayer. And it talked about my dad's conversion and how my dad and my mom's conversion and how that changed our lives and the importance of knowing Christ. And so that area as well, you know, I've been seeking God about that. You know, the faith community, the book that I wrote was not directly for the faith community. It was for unchurched people to kind of read and see God in it. But I know I have a message for the faith community as well. So. I think that's starting to evolve a little bit. And, you know, I think that'd be fine too. You know, sure. Those things and, and everything. And Because I'll tell you, you know, I love the word of God, period. I don't play around with it at all on any level. You know, one of my favorite things about, I've said this like six or seven times, like, there's a lot of things about you I like apparently. But one of the things you had said, we didn't talk a lot about faith. You don't need to because you live it. And I could tell early on you're a man of faith. And I think that's the only way to be. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to live it. And without you even needing to say it, people see that in you. And I think that's a testament to who you are and who you serve. Wow. You know, I guess you wouldn't be surprised. But for a while when I was speaking and stuff afterwards, people would come up to me and say, you're a believer, aren't you? Mm -hmm. You're a believer, aren't you? And yeah, I'm speaking at corporate gigs and that kind of stuff and insurance companies and everything. And they could see it. They could sense it. They could tell it. And I think that's important when I talked about Tony Lang and how he was watching me when I didn't know who was watching me. It's the same thing with everything you do. They should be able to see who you are without talking to you. you know, and when you get it like that, that's when you got it right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not the easiest, that's not the easiest thing, but when you get that, right. man, you got that right. Yep. And because then you can just live. You can just live, man. It ain't nothing. I mean, that's just being free. Oh, man free mentally, spiritually. I mean, all that, man, that's amazing. That's great. Well, you got that right. These your words, David. You've got that right. David, one of my favorite things about being blessed to host the Beyond the Known podcast is I learn just as much as our audience does. I get inspired and motivated just like the audience does. And 
I tell you, I had high hopes and expectations of this interview prior to you coming in. You exceeded those expectations big time. I thank you for enriching my life over the past several minutes, as well as that of our listening audience. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, David Cook, speaker and author of David Cook's Enterprises. It did me good to have this conversation with you today, my friend. Well, I am honored to be here, and I will leave you with my tagline from the book. And it says that your ability to endure is always greater than your willingness to endure. You can get through it. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Known with Paul M. Newberger. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out at stargroup.com. That's S-T-A-R-R-Group.com slash podcast. We're also available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.